Hello, and welcome to our podcast, The Heartbeat of the Dance Floor. We welcome Lenny Fontana today, who is regarded as one of the greatest house music producers to come out of the early New York City club scene. A true legend, Lenny has DJed all over the world, as well as having worked with many incredible artists over the years. His Karmic Power Records label promises to push the boundaries of house music and all its varieties, taking it back to an era where music had the ability to evoke emotions. And it is with that promise and his knowledge that we are honored to welcome Lenny Fontana to the Heartbeat of the Dance Floor podcast. Hello, Lenny. How are you today? Thank you. I'm quite well. Thank you. Thank you. Quite excited, Marsha. Thank you for joining us. Lenny, let me start this off by asking you to please tell your listeners a little bit about yourself. Your words are far better than my description. I'm energetic, exciting. I still have that happy feeling I had when we started this, you know, dance music. I'm a disco baby, basically, um, that wanted to be part of the disco scene, which was too young and was able to find joy and if you want to put it like this disco had a baby and it was called house music in a sense yeah you're you're absolutely correct Sarah. Disco had a baby so let me let me ask you to put this in a little bit of a chronological text for our listeners as to the years that you kind of explored began uh and then ultimately led to your professional career as a dj and i say this because we um we cross generations in a sense that that I started when you were a little uh, in New York. I moved to New York when you were a little too young to go out. And by the time I was starting to ease into the next phase of my career, you were beginning to go full throttle boogie with yours. So I want to give our listeners a little bit of that that timeline so that they can digest better as we go further in the conversation. Okay, so let me paint the picture of what this arrow had been around, okay? On New York radio, we, a new station was born. It was called 98.7 KISS FM. And we had DJs like Shep Pettibone and Tony Humphreys doing the master mixes, okay, at that time. There was a fantastic nightclub called the Paradise Garage downtown, New York City, with a great DJ called Larry Levan that was doing church mass every Saturday night to Sunday morning. We had T. Scott at Better Days at that time, still playing. He was still there before Bruce Forrest took over. So I was right around that time coming up and honing my skills. And those DJs were the muses that I was totally into. And they were all around us doing their R&B dance sound. Because, had, like I said in the first part of this uh, podcast, was that disco had ended. So... Disco went underground, became what we called it R&B dance or D.O.R. dance oriented rock. So I was already starting to work at home with my turntables and basically emulating what I was seeing and hearing. You know, not old enough quite yet to really, you know, be part of the the hierarchy of the night nightclub scene. But I was starting to still a teenager. Yes, okay. I was. Okay. Yes. So I was already in, I was already fully rolling. And but, the people and places you are talking about were my colleagues and my brethren. And when you talk about the Paradise Garage, you went there, I'm sure, when the lighting design were the rings and the ceiling. Correct. I was on the installation crew that put those rings in the ceiling early in my career as a lighting person in like, you know, 1980, 81. So, right. so that's so when I experienced crisscrossed it. crisscrossed 
But you're right. One of the most beautiful things about that era was the camaraderie and the mentorship that ensued. And I don't know. We'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to more modern day stuff. And also, like, I met Gail Sky King and all those wonderful DJs that were were floating around. I worked with Gail at the the Red Parrot. Right. And that's what I was about to say. So that was my playground. You know, I was like, this was like an amazing place. You know. Going to Paradise Garage was like going to high school for me, in a sense. You know, it's like it changes your world. Yeah. You know, I tell people this all the time. Unless you've seen it and experienced it, smelled it. <laughs> smelled it because it smelled like a men's locker room when it was on fire. But I'll tell you, there was nothing. I could never, ever say anything greater than that experience. Well, one of the, one of the reasons why I wanted your perspective in this series is because you bring one of my points, which is that demographics as well as generations and age provide different insights. And even though we were both in the same city, New York City, the same geographic location, going to essentially clubs within blocks of each other, I mean, 12 West was what? 15 blocks south uh, north of the Paradise Garage. Correct. Both on the uh, uh, west side of Lower Manhattan. And the demographics between the two places, I won't say they couldn't be more different because they totally overlapped in the joy and the music and the expression and the, the ability to connect on that level spiritually through the music, but the demographics of the two were quite different. And that's going to sort of segue me a little bit more into where the demographics of your world overlap the demographics of my world, but they were also very different. And then there are other demographics of other worlds. Like at that time you had the Midtown more, Hoity-toity clubs, the ones that were non-membership. You and I are referring to membership private clubs. Completely different animal. And yes, the birthplace of the music movement, but different heartbeats. And that's kind of where we are in trying to discuss and discern what it is that makes up a heartbeat, how many variables there can be to the different kinds of heartbeats, And in trying to identify one, you know, I'm able to focus on certain demographics with you that have a different perspective because of your background and your work uh, than, say, you know, another DJ or another city's perspective. If I interview someone who is a promoter in another city, for example, Um, you know, and and the the focus of of the the heartbeat, if you will, is to try to identify how there can be many different heartbeats and they come from many different sources and they come out in many different ways and they're very, very many different combinations. So as you're telling me about your career and your mentorship, you're talking to me about people who were able to create the heartbeat in their environment and the fact that you were able to learn a skill set from them and have them pass on that knowledge. And it's it's something that you can't really put your finger on, right? No, you can't. And and, yeah. and it's just, it's a plethora, you know, because yes, you know it's like exactly. a waterfall effect. It's exactly. a complete waterfall exactly. effect. So as you've learned and you've learned your skill set truly from the best, 
Um, even Nikki like Siano, I did. Even <laughs> Nikki Siano, for example, how Nikki, through what he did, influenced Frankie Knuckles and um, Larry Levan. And we exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, but we want to talk about Lenny Fontana. <laughs> and <laughs> okay. We want to talk about Lenny Fontana and what he does. And in his tenure, as you are coming up through the ranks, you are no longer a teenager at the shoulders of some of the great DJs that preceded you. You are now top dog. And what is the year? Maybe the mid nineties. I'm going to just take well, a that's even out there. Oh, well, my first big break was Union Square, 14th Street Underground with, with Bear Jones running that club at that time. And that was the opener for me. So that was the start of how that gets me into New York City in a big way. Working on a Richard Long sound system, RLA and the whole thing. And that's around 87-ish. So my first international gig is 1990-ish, around that time. So I was invited to come and play in the UK. Uh, and that was the start of me having this career of being able to get on a plane and travel around the world. And the UK is what really opened that door. Okay. So uh, as you learned all of these skill sets, when you go into an environment, when you're going to create whatever the environment is, now you've learned these skill sets, you've had these experiences what do you do and in your world whether it's your function as a dj or as a record company executive or producer who's trying to create content that will provide a heartbeat what do you do to create a heartbeat in those things that that your enterprises so here's the thing i found that works um assimilation of where i am and learning what people are into. If it's New York, if it's Florida, everyone has different tastes and they hear music differently. I've learned this. Something that works in New York doesn't necessarily work in England or Italy. And something that works in England, sometimes they only get it there. So the question is, when you're looking at the globe, how do you make something more global? More so than you just trying to make it regional okay. so that was part of the education process of knowing how to become a chameleon okay and viable, viable point because of course i do discuss the demographics and geography and how that will differ from place oh, to place i mean take for example current day i think the uk and london are really the hotbeds of r&b which was our american institution so that music has changed so much over the years so you bring up a very interesting point. And when we're talking about a live event that you're going to, where you're going to do that live event then would be instrumental in how you're establishing your program to try to create a heartbeat. And I'm, I'm going to segue to another question, which as I've come up with my own interpretation or my ideas of heartbeat, and you've had a chance to think about this for a minute, what is your interpretation and what do you feel would constitute your ideal of creating, you know, that heartbeat for the dance floor, that, that thing, that undefinable thing that really is the sustainability of the event that you're doing that makes it maybe a little more magical than another event. 
Well, I've been blessed to always be able to test new records. Okay. And that's something that a DJ strives to do. And that's what we all love to do. For example, Marsha, if you brought me your record and I really loved it and I wanted to play it, I want to be that person that gives that first pulse to it, that introduction to see how that's going to vibrate for that, for those dancers and give you a chance if you're the artist or producer to be able to see that and feel that energy from the floor. That was always the fun, most greatest part of besides of having that excitement or that that uh esoteric feeling where you have the biggest record you play and the crowd screams that's a wonderful feeling but there's nothing better than when you introduce something that no one's ever heard before and you play for the first time and you know you're a little nervous sometimes when you do yeah you don't know when you get that positive reaction but you don't know if you're going to be right. moses where you could have cleared like the i always say like the dead sea yeah. it's, it's a little nerve-wracking before you drop the needle isn't it yeah i love that we've always and i've been blessed as a record producer label owner and dj to be able to say test something and see does this thing have legs or should we say the heartbeat because if this thing takes off most of the time your dance floor becomes like your bloodline and it's well like, Yes, and, and it does. And I know exactly what you're talking about from firsthand, my work with the Joe Long Sound yeah. and our mixer in the studio with us. And part of our production company was the uh, uh, the legend, Richie Rivera and his Midnight Mix. And of course, he also was one of the top 10 Billboard reporting DJs and played at some of the top venues in the city and private clubs. And uh, we had the ability to not just go out there with the text pressings that all the DJs got, which was really the finished acetate before the release. We could go out there with, with tracks that we were working on and feel it and then go back in the studio and change it because Richie was our mixer. So we had the ability to do that. It was very special. And I know what you're talking about. It's very nerve wracking because you don't know how they're going to react and you think it's great, but do they? And when they do, there is no greater feeling so, of accomplishment and joy, right? So let me let me share this anecdote with you. Please. And you talk about heartbeat, right? We talk about the heartbeat of, the, of your show. Let's talk about Tana Gardner's heartbeat for a second. Yes. La- I mean, Kenny Nix told me this story because this is Kenny Kenton Nix's record for West End, mm-hmm. right? So the first night he had the first rough mix because that's how oh sorry that you? I have to that. sorry no worries. no worries when it's live when you have that first mix and you bring it to you know larry levan at the garage and the garage was i you want to talk about a sea of different eccentric type of people you had Spanish, Black, Italian, Indian, whatever. It was a smorgasbord of what, or a microcosm of New York City on a dance floor, basically. Okay? So you're playing this record. He gives him the record on a tape. He plays the tape, because that's how Larry would do things. He played off a reel-to-reel. For those that don't know, the reel-to-reel tape with a quarter inch used to have in the booth. A lot of DJs did this back in the day. Before they even made an acetate, they would, the producers would run off a uh, a mix a two-track mix onto a reel <clears throat> from the console where they work in the studio and bring it to the club excited come running up in the booth put it on and larry levin if he knew you he would take your record and he put it right on 
And the minute he played it, the people walked off the floor. Now imagine how big this Tonic Garden and Heartbeat record oh made of it. And the power of the DJ, right? So he plays it first time. He loved it. Second time he plays it again, they walk off. So what Larry would do is he would come back and hit you with five, six big tracks, make the crowd go nuts. And he'd go, okay, correct. Watch this and play it again. Boom, boom, ba. And now they're kind of, and they sit down again. He did it eight times. <laughs> By the ninth time he plays the record, they know the record now. Now they're screaming over the record. But that's, sometimes you have to have the, the more of an oversight to say to them, I know better than you. And I'm going to make you understand what I'm trying to provide you. I'm going to provide you the next big record. And, and a lot of records that happen that way. So when we talk about Heartbeat, look how big that Heartbeat record later became. It was huge. Commercial. Right. So that's my... sampled all over the place. Thank you. So imagine if he didn't do that. And BLS to, you know, Frankie Crocker and Radio and all the steps leading after that happened. Look at that heartbeat, the pulse, the bloodlines, how far these things go. From the dance floor. No, from the studio, from someone's mind. Writing it to actually recording it, to getting it to the mixing, to all that. And it just keeps going. The pulse goes on. And the record lives in infamy. Move. Mm -hmm commercials but you see what i'm saying so your heartbeat show goes so far the tentacles just like an octopus they just keep going and going well i like i like to think that this concept is not exclusive to our genre of music but rather will open the door to many different genres and also many different displays i mean we're talking about a dance floor but i really do believe that Rock groups, concerts, they have a specific energy in and of themselves. That's why people miss live events so much. That's why people spend and travel to go to concerts of live artists. That's why artists like to get up on the stage and perform live because they have that interaction. So even though it's not a dance floor per se, I believe that that too has its own form of heartbeat. And of course I use that as a figurative phrase but a very real phrase, because without the heart, you don't have any sustainability. You have no life. Correct. And and my 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 premise is that that heartbeat can come from a variety of eras areas, not just the music. Uh, it can. I think sometimes the venue itself is what has the heartbeat. People go to a venue for that venue, not because X, Y, and Z is playing there necessarily, or because there's a fabulous, you know, they, they go there for lots of reasons, even your local bar watering hole that may not have a dance floor, but it still can have a heartbeat because mm -hmm. it's got its own soul. Like you hear, sweet home Alabama. <laughs> Where the skies are blue, you know, everybody's great, and you can get that because you know what they say we can all sing along while we drink. And yes. what happens is the owner, the manager, the booking agent sets that tone to why you go there. Yes, exactly, exactly. And 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 again, 
There are some venues that do and can, and others that just don't. They fail at it. Right. And it's and it, and it's the same in any category. You can look at athletics. You can look at music. You can look at dance. You can look at anything. Some make the grade. Some can't cut it. Some are outstandingly talented and rise far above the rest. Um, let me ask you a quick question before we uh, before we close this uh, this lovely lovely little chat out. And I'm wondering, in your career, have you had any examples you can share with us of where you feel there was such a magical moment of uh, perfection or close to perfection that really resonates with you to this day? That would be you know, in my mind, the epitome, when all of the variables and all of the factors and forces come together, they create this perfection, which I just classify as magic, magic of the moment or the event or whatever. Uh, do you have any magic moments that you've produced or put together in your career that you can leave us with as, as wonderful memories of yours? Uh, uh, because indeed, you are one of the masters that we look up to. Oh, well, I'll tell you, it wasn't when I DJed. It was when David Morales played my record. I'll never forget this moment. It was at Pasha and Ibiza. I had just finished a record called Chocolate Sensation with the great Lolita Holloway. Ah, uh, yeah. And great gal. Oh, yeah. And he played the acetate to a crowded room about, I'm going to say about 4,000 people. Now, I'm not... Remember, I'm playing the producer now. So I'm, he turns to me and he just, you know, he turns to me and looks at me with that look and he just drops it in and you can hear it coming in. And when, and when he finally gets it into where it goes, let me tell you. And you hear the whole crackle. <sighs> My hair stood up. I remember jumping up and down like it was like Christmas. That mm. feeling of holy smoke. You it was like he said to me, This track is unbelievable. And the song, and it was with the great Lolita Holloway, and it was the timing, and it was the right place, and it was four o'clock in the morning in Europe, in Ibiza, in Spain, for those that don't know where Ibiza is, at one of the greatest clubs, Pasha. You know, when you talk about great clubs, mm -hmm. great sound. It would not be like the Paradise Garage, but for Europe, it was a great sound system. <laughs> Sorry, I'm very, I'm a sound system. Hey, no, no worries. Uh, yeah, I'm talking no to worries. the sound. I'm, I'm I'm my sound sister's sister. She's sister of lights. So she knows light and sound. So I'm, it, I'm with you on that. It's one. hard for me to tell you great sound because well, when, not for nothing. Until I heard the system at Analog a few years ago, I had not heard a better sound system uh, since Paradise Garage, save perhaps the Saint. Which was perfection. Problem with that room was which room? He uh, the analog room was there was no wood floors. So well, and, and there were a myriad of issues. I'm just saying, from a sound system perspective, yes. In my humble opinion, I agree with you. Richard Long created one of the best sound systems ever created in the world, in the universe, with the Paradise Garage. Not to belittle his other installations like Studio 54, and, and I think he did Bonds too, and et cetera, yes. et cetera. However, yes, without Which a means, doubt, 
Paradise I mean, Garage was his baby. And it was because of Larry's input into it as well. That was his home. You wanted to visit with Larry. You didn't go to his apartment. You went to the his garage. The IP room up in the booth. That was like his apartment, you know? <laughs> Anyways, getting back to to this episode, this this moment that you're describing to us in Ibiza, it sounds like it is totally enthralling. So it's here's one like thing. It was a they culmination of things. It, it, it just everything sound lighting the explosion of confetti cannons that whole thing was just like wow you can't i can't tell you what i think it's on video somewhere i saw it after years later i saw it them playing it and the the culmination of it was pete tong another big name dj from the bbc okay here's the song dave morales plays it says i want to sign it for ffr Beautiful. Right then and there. That's like those are moments. Now, yeah. Yeah. one other moment I had was I went to see as a as a a patron, Earth, Wind, and Fire in Chicago together. Oh my God, I can imagine that, Bill. I've seen them separately, but never together. Oh together? my gosh. And they did Street Player. Oh, oh wow. The horns. Wow. The horn sections between Earthwind and Fire, they were battling. And, and the drums, I'm sorry, Bob, being a drummer, Bobby uh, Colombo was one of my idols as a teenager. What I'm saying is amazing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Verdine Green on bass. I mean, Verdine White, I'm sorry, Verdine White on bass. I mean, all the Chicago horn section. I could, I was sitting there going, this is just, this is euphoria. So you can just, as a, as a fan. So, And then again, there's another one of the, what we're, calling you know a magic a magic moment it's beyond a heartbeat it's when all of the heartbeats coincide the forces one massive <laughs> one massive energy force and and you know do you agree that this really is some kind of a an energy force that we cannot harness but when we are able to create it it then gets a life of its own 100% hundred percent and everyone takes that heartbeat home for days after and they keep living on that 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 feeling of that electric shock yes well you listen if you ever find that video clip we would love to share it on the show we'd love to share it on the website it would be marvelous if you find it it'll tie perfectly into our conversation and then it would also give any visitors to our website which is heartbeatofthedancefloor.com uh, it'll give them a visual example of what it is you're saying. And, and I can tell you from one who has experienced similar, there is nothing like that euphoric feeling that comes over your body when all of those parts come together because you feel it in your body, but it's really in your heart and in your soul. Totally. And music is the healer. You know, that heartbeat is a healer. And it is a universal language. Totally. I mean, I've played in places where they can't even speak English, but they knew all the words to the songs. It was the it's, craziest yeah, thing. It's, 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 uh, music is quite amazing. It's an amazing tool and it's an amazing healer of many, many things. And, you know, as is light. And a lot of this has come into recent science when you look into medical science and the healing of music and the healing of light and how that's changed some hospital uh, cancer wards and waiting rooms, uh, you know, with certain, uh, I'll not get into the technical aspects of it, but there's certain green lights and waves and blah, blah, blah. But yes, it, it's, it's quite all encompassing. And 
it is something that can touch anyone and everyone. And it is exactly as your mission statement and karmic power record states, emotion evoking. And we hope with this series to explore all of the, all of the different aspects of how we can get that bit of magic out of our experience, whether it's on a dance floor or as I said, different arenas, a concert venue, um, they all have their own heartbeats. And we're starting here in the disco and dance music world, but Lord only knows where this will end up when we're uh, completed with the series. Lenny, I can't thank you enough for being uh, my first guest. Oh, thank you. And uh, at the beginning Pleasure. of this series, it is an absolute delight. You bring a perspective and an era that, that kind of picks up where mine leaves off and i like to view that as a lovely connection i'm honored and thank you for asking me and if you ever need me again i'm always here for you marcia thank you lenny it's always good to know that i had to call you my friend and that means more than anything and everything yes it's true thank you and to all of our listeners thank you for joining us and please stay tuned for more episodes as we carry on with the heartbeat of the dance floor bye bye all